Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. good news for you uh, that this is our, our second service 11 o'clock and typically we just do a 10 o'clock service so you guys have the benefit of number one you know that you'll start to smell like tacos and food in a few minutes you know there's something good coming after this number two I saw a few people messing with my notes so they might have scratched some stuff out so <laughs> it might go faster than it went at nine o'clock um, Mary, Mary nudged me and said, speed it up. No, she said, she said, you need to cut it short. I said, no, nope, I'll speed it up. <laughs> so God's good, though. This, this Passion Week, what we've been going through from Sunday when Jesus makes this triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem and he begins to declare what's about to happen at the end of the week. Then on Friday, we had Good Friday. And this last uh, Friday night, we all gathered here together. We had prayer. We had communion. We talked about uh, what took place with Jesus and his disciples. There's so much that you can't get it all in. We, we skipped over Jesus washing his disciples' feet. We skipped over so many uh, important things. So uh, I want to start off right at the outset just telling everybody that, that what I believe God will do this morning uh, or in this service is just remind us that there's always more that he has for us. We're not going to get it all today, but I hope what you do get says uh, or causes you to say, I want to know more. I want to learn more. I want to read more. I want to listen more. I want to engage and, and seek the Lord more. And I believe that uh, he'll bless us. Easter is ultimately about that, right? Like after, after the death of Jesus, he says there's more. After the resurrection, he still says there's more. Even when we come to salvation, it would be nice if we just raise our hand or we come to the altar and we say we give our life to Jesus and that's it. But he says there's more. There's change. There's transformation. There's hope. There's other ones that need to come to, uh, to know who he is. So I'm excited and I hope that uh, you guys will be blessed. This is Luke chapter 24, verse 1. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by, stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And then they remembered his words. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that your death, your crucifixion, Lord, that you were not murdered, you laid your life down. This was not a surprise. This was your plan, Lord. 
You have a plan that is still unfolding, Lord. We thank you that you were willing to go to that cross, Lord. We thank you that you were thinking about each and every one of us, Lord, as we look back and we think about what it must have felt like for you, what you were going through, what you were experiencing, how you suffered, Lord. Remind us that it's us who were on your mind. You weren't thinking about yourself. You were thinking about what we would be going through and what we would be experiencing, the guilt and the shame, Lord God, the sins that we carry, and you want us to be relieved. You want us to be forgiven, Lord. We've come into this place, Lord, to be reminded. We've come into this place to glorify you and to celebrate you and to thank you, Lord. We ask that the same way you had that stone rolled away so that we could enter in, Lord, and see that you were risen, we ask that you would do the same thing in our hearts this morning. We ask that you would do the same thing in our minds, Lord. Just roll away whatever would block us from being able to see that you're alive, Lord. Minister to us, touch us, change us, transform us here in this place. Don't let us walk out of here the same way that we walked in. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 All right, so the first thing I want to talk about is the story, the big story, the whole Bible. What is it? Earlier we talked about it and we said people have a lot of cliche statements they like to make about the Word of God. They say it's the basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E, but it's not that. It's not just basic instructions. They say that it's a, a good book of wise teaching and good information to help you live, live your life. It's not that either. It's not uh, a book of laws and standards and statues that if you just do all these things, you will be ushered into heaven and you'll be forgiven and life is going to be great. It's not that either. What the Bible is, is God's self-revelation. God says, I know who I am and I want to tell you who I am. And he gives us his word to be able to reveal himself from beginning to end. That's all it is. The story starts with God being with his creator, I mean with his creation, man and, and woman in the garden, he says, I want to be present with you. I want to be close to you. I want you to know me and be able to walk with me. We know that Adam and Eve sinned and there's this fall. We know that after that, God calls Abram and he makes a covenant with them. He says, I'm going to make some promises. You are going to make some commitments and we're going to live together. It's going to be amazing. These people from Abram turns into a large group of people, millions of them, but they have a slave heart and a slave mentality. They're delivered, but they still behave like slaves, and God takes them through this 40-year journey in a wilderness to teach them how to be kings and priests. Many of us who have given our life to the Lord and been saved, we realize real quick that even though you're saved, you still have your old slave mentality. We were slaves to sin. It's a wonderful thing as God reveals how he does that in their lives. Then there's about 1,500 years in this book of them screwing it up. <laughs> they mess it up, and then God says, here's some punishment, and then he says, would you like to come back? They say, yes, we'd like to come back. They get delivered again, and they just do that over and over and over again. For many of us, that sounds like the story of our lives, but God shows his faithfulness. What he's revealing in his self-revelation in those 1,500 years is he says, I am faithful. He says, even when you're unfaithful, I'm going to be faithful. Even when you run away from me, if you want to come back, I'm going to op uh, welcome you with open arms. He's a good God. Amen? Amen. Then we get to uh, an amazing part, the arrival. We get Christmas. Jesus shows up in a manger, and everything is going to be different. Everything is going to be changed moving forward. And then there's 30 years of obscurity. 
where this child in the manger turns into a grown man and we don't see very much. All we see is at 12 years old, he is in the temple teaching. We talked about it earlier in the service that we're reminded by our kids, you know, 12 years old, seven years old, eight years old, and they're teaching us. You know, I think Gary said it, we said it earlier that most of us don't know as much about the story as what they were able to tell us <laughs> this morning, you know? And that's how Jesus was. He was telling people that should have known uh, the truth about himself. So 30 years uh, of that, and uh, then he entered into three years of his ministry. It was only three years that he actually walked and talked and met with people and touched people and healed people and forgave people, transformed people. Uh, we call it the, uh, the courting of the bride. Three years, he was going to have this bride called the church, and for three years, he got them ready to marry him. That's what he was doing. And then the crucifixion and Easter, uh, we talked about that on Friday. So for those of you that were here with us, it was an amazing time. Like Gary said, you can get the app, listen to it, and just uh, we remembered that he came to his disciples and he broke bread with them. He said, I wanted to dine with you. And then he had the first communion uh, with them where he actually broke the bread and gave it to them and the wine and gave it to them. He went into a garden and he prayed. It says that he began to sweat drops of blood. It was that agonizing for him what he was about to go through. Um, then he was betrayed by everybody that was close to him and everybody that he loved and uh, crucified ultimately. Then after that, we get the, uh, the birth of the church, the unleashing of the church, the Holy Spirit comes and they begin to turn the world upside down. These 12 disciples uh, minus one, right? These 11 disciples go and they begin to tell the story. And that's why you're all here 2,000 years later because 11 guys went out and a bunch of ladies, praise the Lord, uh, went out and began to tell people the story. And that's where you are in the self-revelation of God today. The only thing that's left is his second coming. And uh, he'll be back for us so that we can be reunited. We started that story. I said that it was about the presence of God being with men and women. And that's where we're going back to. That's all that's left. He's going to come back and then we're going to be in his presence forever. Self-revelation of God. So that's the story. We're going to look at a piece of it today on Easter. So number two this morning is, is Jesus who he says he is? That's the most important question that we have to ask when it comes to the story. Not do we need to go to church? Not how much do I need to read? What is the right posture for prayer? Uh, how many Hail Marys do I need to say? How do I really get? No, not, none of that really matters. What matters most, what God is trying to get out of each and every one of us is, you need to make a decision about my son. Is he who he says he is? And what does that mean for you? That's it. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, says, Who has believed our report? And, who, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. He's talking about Jesus here, I believe. It's saying he wasn't anything special. He wasn't anything to look at. It wasn't the one that people came running to. He was the one that people looked at him as if he was almost disfigured or deformed and they didn't want to look at him because it would embarrass them and embarrass him. Is he who he says he is? Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs, though, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep, is, and as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence. Nor was there any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge of my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. <clears throat> That's Isaiah chapter 53, the whole of it, verse 1 through 12. And it sounds like somebody was uh, on Good Friday, sitting underneath the cross, watching what was happening and writing it down, right? But this is a prophecy from Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years before he came, they were writing the details of exactly what was going to happen that night. So this is the question, is this a reality? Is this the Jesus that we're talking about this morning? I think most people are indecisive on this question. We're pretty decisive on where we stand on religion. We're pretty decisive on where we stand on church. We're pretty decisive on, on what we think we need to do and what others should be doing. But this is really the decision that we have to make and be very clear about. Is Jesus God? Is he the Lamb of God? Are we saved because of his wounds? Did he take our sins upon him? If we don't make that decision, if we're not clear about that decision, uh, we can find ourselves in trouble. I wrote in my notes here that indecision is a decision. If you just try to stay neutral, you've actually made a decision. If you say, I'll make a decision later, you've made a decision. You need to be clear on where you stand on this issue. All of us do. So what I want to do is for a few minutes here, I want to look at some of the people that were faced with having to make this decision during this crucifixion time. Jesus is going to come before and next to and around all kinds of people, and they've got a decision that they have to make, and I want you to see how they went about it and where you think they lie uh, when judgment comes. First is Luke twenty-two sixty-six. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, the chief priests and the scribes, they came together and they led him into their council saying, if you're the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you'll by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the son of man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, are you then the son of God? So he said to them, you rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. I've heard some crazy things out there that, that non-believers say that Jesus never said that he was God. And over and over, if you read the scriptures, you realize that he did. These are, this is the church. These are the pastors. These are the leaders. These are the ministry leaders. They have Jesus there after he had been arrested that night. It's early in the morning. He's there with all of them, and they're asking, them, they're asking him, are you the son of God? He says, I don't even want to talk to you about it because if I tell you, you won't believe me. If I tell you I am the son of God and I'm about to save the world, you're not going to let me go. 
You just want to talk about religion. You don't want to actually meet God. A few hours later, this is what happens with those same group of leaders. They say in Matthew 27, 20, it says the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes now that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. The church saw Jesus, who is God, as a threat to them. And they would rather have Barabbas, who is a murderer. He loves the, the, the children of Israel. He wants them to be freed from, from uh, Roman rule. But he's a murderer, and he says, this is how we're going to get free. We're going to fight for our freedom. We're going to kill as many Romans as we can. We've got to be willing to go to prison if that's what it takes. And they say, look, we want that guy, but we want Jesus to be crucified. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to die to release my people and to give them freedom. The church was given a choice to make about Jesus. Is he who he says he is? And will we put our trust in him? And the church said, no, he's not. The church said, we'd rather continue to lead the church and let him be crucified. You know, one of the things in, in this particular church, our church, that I'm very conscious of, and I'm so grateful for the leaders and the elders here, but we hold each other accountable. This is God's church. It's not our church. That's right, before Jesus came in and before he was, he was crucified, he went into the church and he said, hey, this is my house. And he started flipping stuff over. We've seen God have to do that once or twice in our church because when we get it wrong, he wants to get it right. Amen? Amen. Next group of people and the decision that they make about him. Matthew 27, 19, he was sitting on the judgment seat. Now it's talking about Pilate. His wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with this just man. I've suffered many things in a, today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said, which of the two would you have me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said to him, let him be crucified. Then Pilate said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Man, another, another couple of people that need to make a decision here, Pilate and his wife. So, Pilate's wife has a dream. This is a Roman woman, doesn't know anything about Yahweh, the God of Israel, and God reveals himself to her. She wakes up and says to her husband, don't have anything to do with him. You're going to get us in trouble. <laughs> Pilate is faced with a decision that he has to make about Jesus. He has all this authority. In another gospel, he says, Jesus, talk to me. Don't you know I have authority to crucify or to let you free? Jesus says, you have no authority that, that didn't come from my father. You have no power. So Pilate makes a decision here. It says that he said he hasn't done anything wrong. He's a just man. His wife told him that he's a just man. But what does he do? He allows him to be crucified anyway. A tumult is rising, and he's more focused on all the people who are up in arms than the decision that he has to make about Jesus, and he tries to be neutral. He says, I think I'm innocent. I don't really want him to be crucified. I washed my hands. His blood's not on me. His blood's on you. 
But he still made a decision. His indecision is a decision. How many people do you know and how many of us used to be the type of people that said, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm neutral. I don't care if you want to go to church, go to church. If you want to be a Christian, be a Christian. You want to be another religion, be another religion. I, I'm not really worried about it. I'm just going to be a good person. That's Pilate. I'm neutral. I wash my hands. But God the Father says nobody gets to wash your hands. Everybody makes a decision. Either he's God and you serve him or he's not. Next group, Luke 23. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean, and as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. And Herod saw Jesus. He was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to meet Jesus, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Everybody's trying to push Jesus on someone else. They come and arrest him at night, and they take him to the religious rulers of Israel. And they say, look, we can't kill him, but we want to. Let's take him to the governor of Rome. They take him to the governor of Rome, and he knows he's not guilty. He says, I don't want to kill him. You guys kill him yourself. Oh, I heard that somebody else has rule. Let's send him to Herod. They send him to Herod. He gets to Herod, and Herod gets to make a decision. Is this God? Is he worthy of being uh, served? And what does Herod want? He just wants a miracle. I heard you do miracles. I heard you cause the blind to see, the lame to walk. I heard you forgive those who have been in adultery. I heard that you heal a woman that was bleeding for 12 years. What can you do for me? And when Jesus won't do anything for him, Herod says, I have no use of you, Jesus. And he sends him back. How many of us, we come to Jesus and say, if you can't do anything for me, I have nothing, no use for you. Jesus has not come to be our miracle worker. He has not come to do signs and wonders. He's come to tell us that we can be forgiven of our sins and be resurrected in newness of life. Amen. It's funny that Herod and Pilate become friends. They were enemies, but both of them deciding that Jesus is not God makes them friends. There's an aggression towards Jesus. There's an aggression towards uh, being anti-Christ. And I'm not pointing the finger because I used to be there for a long, long time. I didn't get saved until I was 23 years old. And I didn't think at the time, but I was a hater of God. I didn't want anything to do with him. And there was an aggressive attack on him. This week, I've been watching people post, right? You know how Christians are. We're posting everything. Jesus this, Jesus that. We are the post people. Because we believe when we hit post, like somebody's going to get saved today. <laughs> but I've been watching the other side where like they can't take it and they're posting anti-God stuff and they're posting atheist stuff. And it's like, why are you so aggressive? Like, we're just trying to be good people. Why are you angry that we love Jesus? The world comes together against Christ. It just comes out of us. Yep. Let's see who else had to make a decision. I'm wondering if you're thinking about the decision you've made. I'm wondering if you're thinking about uh, when, when Christ re revealed himself to you and said, hey, make a decision. Who am I? Yes. Now you've got the, the, the two others being crucified with Jesus in Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself and save us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, 
Seeing that you are under the same condemnation, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus in the middle, two men being crucified on the, on the sides of him. One is accusing him and taunting him and saying, deliver yourself and deliver me too. The other one has done more than a lot of Christians will ever do. There's a lot of Christians that hear people talk bad about Jesus and won't even open our mouths. This dude is not even a Christian. He's a stone-cold sinner, and he says, I'm on the cross up here because I deserve it, but I ain't just going to let you talk about this man like he's done something wrong. He's holy, he's righteous, he's not like us, he doesn't deserve to be up here. I wish that more Christians in their uh, lunchroom, in their workplace, in their schools yes. would say, hey, look, you don't have to love him, but I ain't just going to let you talk about him like this. Come on. Amen. And this dude does not even have faith in him or isn't even saved yet. <clears throat> I'm convinced that there's a lot of sinners. I know, like I said, I used to be one, uh, an unsaved one. But this man knew who Jesus was. Like Jesus had already re revealed enough to him that he knew that he was God. He said, listen, I'm a sinner. I deserve to be up here. I know that when you die today, you're going to rise and you're going to enter into your kingdom. Would you please think about me when you get there? Yeah. Think about that. This guy's not in church. This guy's not reading his Bible. But he knows enough to know that uh, Jesus isn't going to stay dead. They both had a decision to make, and only one made the right decision. I, I wonder what that must have felt like. You know what? I, I won't even say I wonder. Anybody who's saved in here, please think back to what it must have felt like. When I got saved, I think it felt the same way that it felt for this guy. When you're like, I can't believe that he said today you're going to be with me in paradise. I can't believe after everything I did, you're still going to save me? You're still going to love me? You're still going to forgive me? Amazing moment. Another thing that we're supposed to learn there before I move on is that... Um, the way we get into, into heaven and into the presence of God again is through forgiveness, not through behavior. Amen. This guy, he didn't get baptized. He didn't go to church. <laughs> he didn't give 10% of everything that he made. He didn't uh, go back and make good on all the things that he had stolen, the people that he had hurt. All he did is said, Jesus, your Lord, I want you to remember me. Help me. Amen. And he got to go into heaven. So if anybody tells you it takes more than that, they're lying to you. Mark 15, 37, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He breathed his last. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion soldier who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. You've got a Roman soldier, and he has a decision to make. Is this Jew just another Jew that forgot who has power and authority? It's Rome. It's Caesar. You messed up, you're on the cross, and you're going to die for it. He can make that decision, or he also has to make the decision, is this God? He's standing at the feet of the cross, possibly the one that drove the nails into Jesus' feet. One minute, he's killing just another Jew, and the next minute, he's worshiping, saying, this is the Son of God. What a difference a minute makes. The power and the reality of the decision that we all have to make about Jesus is that everything can literally change in a minute. One minute, one decision. One thing comes out of your mouth. This is the son of God and your life is done. <laughs> Everything's different. Amen. 
That's only offered in Christianity. So number two is the decision that we all have to make, and these are people around the resurrection, things that are happening, they're all getting this chance to say, who is he? Is he who he says he is? Number three are the effects of the resurrection. What actually happens because Jesus rose from the dead? What are the effects? What is the actual impact in people's lives? If, uh, if when I gave my life to the Lord, they said, now the effect is you get to go to church every Sunday, I would have said, no, thank you. <laughs> like, that's not the effect. If somebody comes to you and they say, what does it mean to be a Christian? We should be able to say, this is what it means. This is what it feels like. This is what's happened. This is why I'm different. This is why I have hope when I didn't have hope before. We should not be saying we go at 9 o'clock or we go at 10 o'clock and then we read this book and then we read that. The resurrection has an effect. It's powerful. So I want you to see what some of those effects are. John chapter 20, verse 11 Mary stood outside by the tomb, and she's weeping. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? It seems like every man has had to say that to a woman. <laughs> On any random day of the week, I come home, woman, why are you weeping? <laughs> and she says, it's Tuesday. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. I love this story about Mary. She's at the tomb and she's weeping. She sees the angels. She sees the gardener. Jesus begins to speak to her and she does what any of us would do. She goes running to him and wraps her arms around him and she's still crying. And it's this amazing moment. And we expect Jesus to just bask in it and embrace her and lift her up and say, I told you. But instead he says, don't cling to me. She's on him and he pushes her off and says, don't cling to me. Why? It's the effect of the resurrection. See, before the resurrection, Jesus told her, come to me, come to me. I'll touch you, I'll heal you, I'll help you, I'll forgive you, I'll stop the bleeding, I'll stop the persecution, whatever it is, there are people who come to me, he says, come to me, come to me, come to me. But here he says, don't cling to me. She came looking for the Jesus that she knew and she came looking for a dead Jesus. Think about that for a second. When she came to the tomb, she expected to find the one that she knew laying dead in a tomb so she can go and mourn over him. But what she encountered was a new Jesus who is alive that she doesn't know like the one that she used to know. That's the effect of the resurrection. Everything changes. Why? Because he says, we went from, remember that big picture of the story we talked about? We went from God is far and he's telling you what to do to be in covenant with him to God is near and he's a child and he's been born, he's going to walk with you to now God is here and he has power and authority to heal you and to touch you to what's about to happen is I'm going back to heaven and I'm going to send my spirit to dwell within you. 
And he says, you're not going to know me like you used to know me, but it's going to be better. That's the effect of the resurrection. He was preparing her to receive the Holy Spirit. What a special thing. I'm so glad that we live in that age. If you could choose any age, a lot of us say, I'd love to go back and be there when Jesus was was alive. No, you wouldn't. You can't live without your cell phone for 10 minutes. (laughs) You don't want to go back there. You want to be here where his spirit comes and lives inside of us. Amen? Amen. See another one, John 21, 14. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Isn't it great that he didn't just come out of the tomb and then go straight to heaven and then somebody says, I think I saw him. He stayed for 40 days and hundreds of people saw him. This is the third time he showed himself to his disciples after he raised from the dead. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, Peter, you girded yourself and you walked wherever you wished. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And he had spoken this. He said to him, Peter, follow me. So Peter was martyred later on in life. He was crucified, and he said, I don't want to be crucified like my Savior crucified me upside down. So he says, Jesus is telling him, listen, stretch out your hands, and somebody else is going to gird you. What is the effect of the resurrection on Peter? Jesus keeps showing up. The effect is Peter gets a second chance. See, Peter, just uh, uh, a couple days before this, he had an opportunity to remain faithful to Jesus, and he denied Jesus. He said, I don't even know him. We talked about this on Friday night. Uh, don't raise your hands because you might be sitting next to the person, but how many of you have been betrayed before? <laughs> I've learned my lesson about telling people to raise their hand because people raise their hand and they're like. <laughs> most of us have experienced betrayal. And it might be a secret to you, but most of us have betrayed people. Yep. So Peter is supposed to be the last man standing, Jesus' best friend, and he betrays him. Right there in his face, they can see each other. He says, I don't even know him. And most of us, when we've done something wrong, we think about it. We're like, man, I'm going to apologize. I'm going to apologize. I want to make that right. I miss that person. I love that person. And you know what happened to Peter when he betrayed Jesus? Before he could apologize, Jesus was crucified and died. And he was probably thinking to himself, man, I was walking with God, and that's how the relationship ended. But the effect of the resurrection is Peter gets a miraculous second chance. He gets to repent. He gets to have his friend back. He gets to walk with him again. It's amazing. And then Jesus does something special. He's, he asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's almost like he's saying, for every time that you denied me, your love is going to wipe that away. Amen. Three denials and three proclamations of love. Amen. The effect of the resurrection is it gives everybody here a second chance for every wrong that we've ever done. Same part of the story says, Peter, turning around, saw the other disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want that he remain till I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. 
Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I want that he remain till I come, what is it to you? This disciple is the one who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. The way the Bible's written is amazing. If you ever have time, read it, think about it. John's writing and he's talking about himself. He's saying, I'm the one that Jesus loves. I'm the one that was laying in his breast. I'm the one that, that asked him who was going to betray him. And then Peter looks back at me and says, hey, I'm glad that I love you and I'm doing all this tending of the sheep and all that stuff for you, Jesus, but what about this guy? And Jesus says, Peter, worry about yourself. Vaughn, worry about yourself. Christian, worry about yourself. Do what I've asked you to do and stop asking me what I want other people to do. Amen. This is the same way that stories get mixed up. This is one of the things that the resurrection does or the effect that it has. There's a lot of people who are living our lives based on what we think Jesus said. And he didn't actually say that. A lot of us are convicted because we think Jesus feels a certain way about a certain thing. And he may not have actually said that. They're all running around saying, John's not going to die. John's not going to die. And Jesus is like, I didn't say that. What he did say was that you're going to suffer in this life. Every disciple was, uh, was martyred. They died horrible deaths. I told you that Peter was crucified upside down. Another disciple was tied to four horses, and they ripped his body apart. John, they tried to kill. They put him in a boiling pot of water, and he didn't die. Then they said, let's put him on an island by himself. And then when he was on that island in the middle of his suffering, God gives him the whole book of Revelation. In the middle of our suffering, God still wants to reveal things to us. Amen. That's the effect of the resurrection. Last one for the effect is John chapter 20, verse 24. Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his, in his hands the print of the nails, and I put my finger into the print of the nails, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came, the doors being shut, and he stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. And look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they have believed. Thomas is struggling to believe. He doesn't believe that the resurrection actually happened. And it doesn't matter how much he loves his friends and how many times his friends are going to say, we saw Jesus, we saw Jesus, Thomas, he rose from the dead, he's alive. I feel like Thomas is just like I used to be and just like all my friends are now. I reach out to him all the time. I've seen Jesus, he's alive, you guys should come to church. And they're like, we don't care unless I see him myself, I don't believe. Amen. We like to hate on Thomas and call him doubting Thomas, but the reality is, is that Thomas is just a normal man. Why would you put your faith in something you haven't seen? Why would you put your faith in something you haven't experienced and then give your whole life to it? I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't ask us to do that. Jesus makes this connection with Thomas. He said, listen, there's going to be a whole bunch of people who aren't going to actually see my resurrection. They're not going to be able to stick their finger through the hole in my hand. They're not going to be able to stick their hand in my side, but they're going to believe. 
How are they going to believe? I'm going to reveal myself. I'm going to show them that the resurrection is a reality. To me, the most important thing about the story of Thomas is where he was when Jesus revealed everything to him. Thomas was with the church. He was in church. It says that when the resurrection happened, he wasn't there. He didn't see it. Eight days later, which would have been Sunday again when we meet for church, it says that Thomas was there with the disciples in the upper room, and they were talking about Jesus, and he showed up in the room. Amen. A lot of people ask me, hey, if I'm not a believer, if my friends don't believe, should they go to church? And I say, yes, absolutely. Amen. Come with all your doubt. Come with all your drama. Come with all your sin. Go to church. Amen. I was... Uh, not saved, not going to church, nothing to do with God, getting drunk, getting high. All the time, that was just my lifestyle in my 20s, my early 20s, and life was falling apart. And this young lady, Mary, sitting over here, she said, I'll hang out with you, but you have to go to church. And I said, sign me up. <laughs> I'm not going to listen, and I'm not going to do anything they asked me to do, and I wish they would pass that basket by me. It'll show up empty. <laughs> but I'll go. I sat in church for six months, didn't believe a single word, laughed every time I went out and made fun of the pastor. And then all of a sudden, one particular Sunday, one particular message, one particular altar call and worship song that I did not plan for, and then I was just like all those people I made fun of. I was on the altar crying and snot coming all out. I was supposed to be a big bad football player, and I was like just a little sissy down there. Why? It's the same thing I think that we see with Thomas here. He loved his friends. He trusted his friends. He wasn't going to believe without seeing for himself, but he was in the church, and that's where Jesus showed up. I was in the church, and that's where Jesus showed up. Amen. The same thing happens, timeless. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't say faith comes by just being out there and hoping that Jesus shows up. You have to actually hear the word of God, and then something happens to you. This story, Luke chapter 24, verse 13. This is after the resurrection. Two of the disciples were traveling that same day. Not, not two of the 11 left, but two others. Traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was that while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Before I go on, that's verse 15. Jesus has died and conquered death and sin. He's risen from the grave. There's 40 days that he's going to be here. And of all the things that Jesus wants to do, he goes and, and meets with these two random guys walking down the street. Man, I love Jesus. When you think you're not important, you're important. Amen. If anybody else was writing this story, you think that we would have wrote the story and say, hey, there's these two random guys going seven miles from Jerusalem and Jesus wants to go hang out with them. Don't you have more important things to do, Jesus? He has nothing more important than you. Nothing more important than me. Their eyes were restrained, so they did not know that it was him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and you look sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, listen to how he talks trash to Jesus. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? <laughs> Jesus knows. It's like, what are you guys talking about? What things? What happened? 
So he said to them, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, he was mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Listen to this. He shows up because these people had all their hope in Jesus. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. And Jesus is like, I did. How many Christians are so sad because they're like, I thought Jesus was going to do this. And he's like, I did. I thought he was going to help me. I thought he was going to fix my marriage. I thought he was going to help my kids. I thought he was going to get my finances together. He says, I did. You just have to stay with me long enough to see it actually come into your reality. He says, certain women of our company, they arrived at the tomb early and astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, you foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. When I started today, I said that the Bible is God's self-revelation. He's telling us who he is. These two men that are are lost and don't know what's going on and don't understand what happened with the crucifixion, Jesus doesn't just talk to them. He opens up the Bible and he starts with Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and he starts going to all the pages that are about him. Hey, you see this in Exodus where it says that they killed the Passover lamb and they put the blood over the door? I'm the Passover lamb. Right? Right? You, you see this in, in, uh, in Numbers where it says that they have to bring an offering for sin and that they have to put their hand on it and identify with it. You identify with me and that's how you're cleansed of your sin. And then he flips to the next book. And he's talking about himself because it's self-revelation. Then they drew near to the village where they were going and, and Jesus indicated that he was going to go further, but they constrained him saying, abide with us for it's toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with him. Listen to this. Jesus has a lot going on, a lot of things that he wants to do. He wants to touch people's lives and heal and change and transform. All you have to do is say, Jesus, stay with me though. Yes. Look at that. He said, I'm going somewhere else. And they said, please stay with us. Abide with us is what they said. And he said, okay, I'll stay the night. I'll come in. Let's eat. So many of us are looking for God or we think he's only there between the hours of service. And he's like, no, all you have to do is ask me and I'll stay with you. Amen. It came to pass that they sat down at the table. Then Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they knew him. Why? Because they were having communion. We're going to have communion before you leave this morning. And I pray that it's not just another time of eating a cracker and drinking a little bit of juice. It should be a time where you say, Lord, just come back again and let's, let's have that moment. Reveal yourself in a special way. Their eyes were open. They knew him, but then he vanished from their sight. And he said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us. So they arose up that very hour. Say right then. Right say right now. Right now. Say not later. Not say not tomorrow. Not tomorrow. He breaks bread. They say, oh, it's Jesus. And then he disappears. And it says right then in that moment, they get up and they go running back to Jerusalem. So many of us have had experiences with God and we say, oh, next week I'm going to church. Oh, next week I'm going to start giving. 
oh God, I, I saw this trip for missionaries. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and register because I want to go across the world and do something. If you don't do it right now, it's not going to happen. I'm getting off track. They rose up that very hour. They returned to Jerusalem. They found the other disciples and those who were gathered with them together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon Peter. And they told about the things that had happened on the road with them and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. The other effect of the resurrection is that Jesus is now the one who shows up all over the world in small groups, in big groups, in many churches, in mega churches, in life groups, and in home groups, in two people walking through their high school, walking through their workplace. If you're talking about the Lord, what has happened since the resurrection is he will show up. The Bible says where two or more gathered him, I'm there in the midst. All you have to do is be talking about him. You could actually be saying the wrong thing like these two were, and he'll show up. <laughs> it's great. They were going the complete other direction from where they were supposed to be. Jesus starts walking with them, pretending like it's not him. And he's like, you guys are going the wrong way. You don't understand anything, but I love you. Go back that way. (laughs) So we have the story. We have a decision that we all have to make. We have the effect or the impact that the resurrection should make in our lives. It's a real tangible thing. And then finally, we have what actually happened. Right? If someone were to ask you what happened at Easter, I think many of us would say, okay, there was, there was a crucifixion, there was, there was this death, and, and he rose from the grave, and this stone rolled away, and Jesus came out, and he had the holes in his hand. Something for you guys to study, why the, why the holes were still in his hands, why the hole was still in his side. He's been resurrected. He has a perfect body. Nobody could even recognize him when he's going in different places. But yet, when he comes back into the to upper room, he says, he says, Thomas, look, the holes are still there. You know what's going to be the only scars in heaven? His? Every day we're going to see him. We're going to be madly in love. And then it's going to hit us just like it hits us from time to time. Like, oh, man, that was me. (laughs) That was my fault. So what actually happened on Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday? It's the death of death. It's the death of death. The greatest enemy that you and I have is death. And on Good Friday and on Resurrection Sunday, death is defeated. There was this, there was this door that was closed where we couldn't get to life and we couldn't get to eternal life. And because of what Jesus did, the door gets slung open. And anybody who wants to go in can go in now. Most of the things that we've done in our lives, apart from our relationship with God when we're unsaved, is because we had a a fear of dying. I'm going to do this because my life ain't going to last forever. I'm going to do this because it feels good now. I'm going to do this because I want it and I've got to have it and I will take it if I have to. And nobody can tell me any different. Whether we could articulate that in our minds or with our words, it's the fear of death that makes us in bondage to sin. If we knew that we were going to live forever, would we live the way that we lived? It's the death of death. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54 says, <clears throat> Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? Hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. The one thing that nobody else could do is defeat death, but Jesus can do it. You see him laughing at the devil. That's right. 
He tried to kill him when he was a baby. When he started his ministry, he tried to come at him and get him to deny Christ. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to see you at the cross. Then at the cross, he can't get Jesus to come down. Listen to how many people the thief told him, save yourself, come down off of the cross. All of the religious people who were there, they said, if you're really God, come down off of the cross. He says, that's the only thing I can't do. I have to do this. Otherwise, death will win. I have to die as a sinless, perfect one. Death is the consequence of sin. You guys understand that this morning? I'm going to let you go in just a minute. But listen, death is the consequence of sin. When you sin, when I sin, we're separated from God. God is the source of life. The consequence of our sin means that we are going to have to die. So what happens is Jesus has no sin, right? So when he dies, it's not as a consequence to sin. It's not the payment for his own sin. He's paying the price for our sin, but he's infinite. Death has no victory when somebody lays down their life and they're not actually paying the debt that they owe. Amen. Amen. So death is defeated. Death has no say. Death has no power anymore. We sing a song that says there's power in the name of Jesus and he's broken every chain. Many of us are still bound by sin and we're bound to the enemy, but the chains are actually broken. It's the enemy lying to us that makes us think that we're bound. And Jesus is saying, I already broke those chains. I defeated death. All you have to do, you're in a prison and you see the chains, but literally, if you just stand up and come to me, you can walk out. It's crazy. They talk about it with uh, uh, circus animals, the elephant. When they're a baby, they put this little rope around him and they tie him to a peg and he can't get away. But then the elephant is a monster and it's still the same little rope and the same little peg because in the elephant's mind, they know they can't get away. So they stay bound. When all they have to do is walk away and they'll pull the rope out, they'll pull the peg out and then go wherever they want to go. That's what it means to be a, a man or woman in the world today. If you don't know Christ, you think you're still bound. When you come to know Christ, you understand that you are free and you have power and you can walk out of the grave. Amen. That's right. Amen. The sad thing is, not only are there people who are unsaved that don't understand that, there's a lot of Christians who sit in church every week acting as if they're still bound. Not using the power that's been given to them. Jesus finally says this, I am the door. This is John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. It's the same thing I'm telling you, right? He says, I'm the door. All you have to do is come to me and you can go in and out however you want. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I'm the door and I came to give life. That's what Jesus says. But if you go out there and ask somebody who's not saved, not serving God, like I keep saying, like I used to be and many of you used to be, if you ask them, who is Jesus and what does he want from you? I guarantee you they're not going to say he is the door to life and all he wants me to have is an abundant life. They're going to say that he is a tyrant. He wants me to change. He wants me to serve him. He wants me to give to him. He wants me to fix everything that's wrong with me so that I'm worthy of being in his presence. We just don't know the truth. So here's the last story. <clears throat> Everything we talked about so far has been within the death, crucifixion, resurrection, the 40 days after. So it's kind of like you're in that moment. You're in that season. It's almost like the presence of God is doing crazy things that he won't do before and won't do after. So here's where the rubber meets the road. What about people like you and I? It's been 2,000 years, you know? What about us? How do we get to that door? How do we get through that door? What does it actually look like for somebody later on to enter in and to find this truth? So this story is, is from later on. This is Acts chapter 8. This is after Jesus has already gone back to heaven. It says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. 
saying, Arise and go towards the south along a road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert. So Philip arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He had charge over all her treasury, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning. Sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture where the eunuch read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? Sound familiar? It's Isaiah 53 where we started this morning. This Ethiopian, he's, he's a wealthy man. He has, he has charge over all of the riches of Ethiopia. He serves under the queen. But he says, I want to go to Jerusalem to worship because I know that that God is different than every other God. He's seeking God, but he doesn't know God yet. And he's sitting there reading Isaiah 53. 700-year prophecy before Jesus gets to the, to the world. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? He says, is, I, is Isaiah talking about himself or some other man? Philip opened his mouth and beginning at that scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. See the decision? You see it? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. Oh, what a story. It's not just during the Easter and the Passion and the 40 days. It's an ongoing story, and the same thing continues to happen. Amen. This Ethiopian is searching for God, seeking God, going to church, traveling long distances from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, reading the word even though he doesn't understand it. And he asks uh, Philip, who shows up out of nowhere, he says, uh, is he talking about himself? Is this Isaiah guy saying that this is going to happen to him? Is he talking about somebody else? He says, no, he's talking about Jesus. And he begins to preach to him. All we have to do is try our best to seek the Lord. God will send help. He says, how am I going to understand unless you help me? How many of us don't want anybody to teach us anything about the word? Yes. We don't want anybody to tell us that they might know a little bit more than us. That they might be able to help us get understanding. He said, I want God and I'm willing for somebody to teach me a little bit. He welcomed the men, and then he made a decision, and then he didn't wait. He said, today, I want to be baptized. Amen. There's a puddle of water. Most of us are like, you know, Newport has nice waves and nice water. I'd like to get baptized. <laughs> it's kind of cold right now in the winter, so maybe we can do this baptism thing like in summertime. It's going to be nice. I'll have a tan. <laughs> I'm laughing because that's kind of like what happened to me, not the tan part, obviously. But... <laughs> I got baptized in Newport, so I can't even talk trash. But it was December. It's cold. But like, 
we think the story is a crazy story. This is the story. You, you, you try to read the truth. You try to go to the place where his name is proclaimed and his cross is not hidden. Amen. What you don't understand, you ask somebody to help you understand. And when you've gotten enough understanding, you get to ask yourself the question, is he who he says he is? And then you make a decision. Yes. Once you make the decision, you get baptized, you go all in. That's it. That's how everybody comes to faith. The details are a little bit different for all of us, but that's the story. And it's still happening today, 2,000 years later. This morning at 9 o'clock, somebody made a decision and gave their life to Jesus. Amen. They, heard, they heard what you're hearing. They were asked to make a decision, and they decided not tomorrow. Not next week, not next year, not next Easter, not Christmas when I come back. No, like today, I'm going to make a decision, and my life is going to be changed. If you go through the story, most of us want lightning to flash, and we want the earth to shake, but that doesn't happen. What actually happens is people just say, I believe that you are who you say you are, and I'm going to commit to you, and then Jesus reveals more and more and more to them. That's how it actually works. Let's worship. Worship team, come up here. Everybody, why don't you stand with me? Can we give the Lord a hand this morning for his Easter resurrection? And you're almost free. You're almost free. But I'm going to ask you if we can just pray together and talk for just a couple more minutes before we leave. If you would, would you just bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Just consider Jesus. I want you to think about um, what we saw earlier in the video. I want you to think about what you've heard, shared from his word this morning. I want you to picture him however you see him. You can picture him as he was talking to men and women during that three years of courting where he was healing people and loving people and feeding them and no anger, no bitterness. He would just multiply food and he would feed them. Maybe you see him this morning and you see him on that cross and you see the blood and you see the wounds. You see the agony. You see the pain. Maybe you picture him coming out. The rock has been rolled away and the holes are still in his hand and in his side, but you see that power and you see that uh, conviction you see that strength. However you want to see him, just see him this morning. So Jesus would come to people and he would always ask them questions. He wouldn't just speak to them and teach them and talk to them. He would ask questions. He'd say, what do you want me to do for you? Or he'd walk up to these two men on the road to Emmaus and he said, what are you talking about? Like, he wants you to engage him. He doesn't want you to just be listening. He wants you to engage him. So heads bowed, eyes closed, please. Maybe you didn't come this morning expecting to be asked a question. Maybe you didn't come here today expecting to be asked to make a decision about who Jesus is. But there's a lot of people who weren't expecting to meet him. You know, when Pilate woke up that day, he didn't think that the king of kings, the king of the world, God himself was going to be standing before him. <laughs> when that Roman centurion was at another crucifixion like all the ones he had been at before, he didn't expect that it was going to be the son of God crucified in front of him. We don't get to say when the day comes. In Luke chapter 23, it talks about Jesus is carrying his cross. He's falling to the floor. 
He's bleeding everywhere. There's no strength left in him, not because he was a weak man, but because his muscles are literally been ripped off of his bones. And in the middle of that trip, from being beaten so bad and trying to carry his cross up to Calvary, Luke 23, 26 says, As they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian. He was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. In another gospel, it says that Simon was with his, his children, going from one place to the next, no intention on meeting Jesus, no desire to carry a cross, no desire to be identified with Jesus, but everything changed. He was confronted with the cross. They said to them, identify yourself with Jesus and carry the cross to Calvary. And he did it. Nothing was ever the same for him. Nothing was ever the same for his children. This morning, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I just want to confront you with the cross. There's many of us here who can look back on when we were confronted and we had to make a decision. But if you're here and you've never made a decision, indecision is a decision. If you've never said, I choose Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are, like the Ethiopian eunuch who said, I believe Jesus is the Son of God and I see water, I want to be with him. If you've never said that, it's not indecision. You are not neutral. It is not Pilate washing his hands and saying, I don't care either way. You're denying Christ or you're choosing Christ. Those are the only two choices. The good news, as you're confronted this morning with the cross, is this. He's not dead. He's alive. You may have come here not expecting to be uh, confronted. You may have come here thinking that we're going to remember a dead God. But Mary came to the tomb looking for a dead Jesus and she found a living Jesus. I want to confront you with the cross, but I also want to tell you that he is alive and he will reveal himself to you, but you have to make a decision. So here it is. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed between you and the Lord. If that's you and today you want to make that decision and just say, man, I choose Jesus. I believe that you're the son of God and I don't know what that means for my future, but today I want to declare that. Would you raise your hand so I can see you? Don't be indecisive, amen, I see you. Hallelujah. Anybody else, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, amen, I see you, sis. Anybody else, choose Jesus. It's the best decision of your life, I promise you. It won't be easy, but man, it's gonna bring life instead of death. Anybody else would join our other two, our brother and our sister, and say, man, I wanna choose Jesus today. I wanna identify with you. Anybody else, hallelujah, Lord. Amen, I see you, sis. Man, God is so good. So good. Before we do anything else, I want to pray for those, Lord. I thank you for our sisters and for our brother, Lord. We know that it's not an easy decision, Lord. Pilate was a Roman governor, and he knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew that he had committed no crime. He had the ability to declare that, Lord. And it says because of those who were around him, he chose to have Jesus crucified and to deny him, Lord. Your son in this place, your daughter in this place, Lord, it would have been easy for them this morning to keep their hand down. 
It would have been easy for them to say, hey, I'll make this decision on the inside. We know that it was difficult for them to raise their hand and to raise their heart, but you knew that they would be here this morning. You say you know the end from the beginning, Lord, so I thank you for them, and I ask that you would reveal yourself further and further, Lord, that they would keep coming back to you, Lord, the same way that Thomas saw you on that eighth day, the same way that those two men on the road to Emmaus, Lord, you came and met with them. Meet with your son. Meet with your daughter. We are so thankful that they've become part of our family, Lord, the family of Christ. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for them. Thank you, Jesus. For the rest of us, I want to ask if there's any who are kind of like Thomas who say, I just need to see a little bit more. Let's keep our heads bowed and eyes closed. I, again, I want this just to be between you and the Lord. I want to see you so that I can pray for you, but we don't want to force you to believe something you don't. We don't want you to have an emotional experience, but what we do want you to understand is there are people who came to Jesus and said, help my unbelief. They didn't pretend like they believed. He said, Jesus, heal my son. He says, you believe I can? He said, kinda, but help my unbelief. And Jesus did it. If that's you and you say, I'm like Thomas or I'm like that father, I want to believe, but I have unbelief, would you raise your hand so that we can just begin that process of praying for you? I want to believe, but I need to see more. Anybody else? God's got to show up and do something. He's got to reveal himself a little bit more, a little bit more clearly for me. Anybody? If that's you, can I see you? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking at you between you and the Lord. It's a tough ask, right? Because if you ask him to show more, then you got to be ready for him to do it. Anybody, though? It's, it's risky. Hallelujah. All right, this is uh, almost the last one. Baptism. I did this in the earlier service because last night when I was going over my message, God told me to do it. And sometimes I do this. I said, no, Lord, I don't want to do that. And then he said, don't forget I'm God and you're not. So... I'm going to be obedient because <laughs> I love you guys, but I, I still have a healthy fear of the Lord. <laughs> Is there anybody here that feels like you need to be baptized? You want to be baptized? You know, we read the story of this, amen, I see you, brother. Before I even finish asking, amen, I see you, and we're not going to forget. Anybody else want to be baptized? We'll schedule it. We'll do it in a week. We'll do it in a month. We'll do it in a hot tub. We'll do it in a cold beach. We'll do it here in the church. Just raise your hand if that's you. God's been speaking that to you. You want to be baptized. You want to be rebaptized. Anybody else besides our brother? Man, I'm glad I, I listened. Amen. One in the other service. Anybody else? Now's your chance. Don't let it pass. Amen. That's exciting. Now officially the last one. And then I'm going to open up for communion. I'm going to open up the altar so you can come and get prayed for by the prayer team or just come and spend some time with God. Here's the last one is I feel like this Easter, there may be some of us who just want to recommit to the Lord. Recommit to being part of a community of believers. Recommit to surrendering and actually serving God. Not being so focused on being served, but actually I want to serve God. And I want to be empowered to do some of those things. I want to pray for you if that's you. John chapter 20 verse 20. 2020 is clear vision. I want you to see it clearly. It says that Jesus showed them his hands and his side. His disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, and Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If that's you, when we open the altars, I want you to come and just let the Lord breathe on you. When he saw Mary at the, uh, at the tomb, he said, don't cling to me yet. I've got to go back to the Father. When I get to the Father, we'll send the Holy Spirit. He breathes on us and he continues to do that. But some of us, maybe we feel dry. Maybe we feel tired. Maybe we feel exhausted. Maybe we feel like we don't have anything to give and we can't serve. That's a lie from the enemy. You are a beast. You are like an elephant, an elephant with this little rope holding you back. You just need the Lord to breathe on you again so you can see yourself the way he sees you. And then you can just go do what he wants you to do and be a part of what he wants you to be a part of. So we're going to pray for all those folks and then we're going to let you go eat. So Lord, we open up this time of communion and here's what we ask. We ask that the same way when you met those men on the road to Emmaus and they said instead of withdrawing or letting you go further, they said stay with us, abide with us, come inside. I pray that when we come to uh, receive communion today, Lord, that in our hearts we're saying abide with us. You broke the bread and that's when they realized who you were. I pray that we would have similar experiences here in this place today. Lord, as we come, those that gave their life to you, Lord. What a statement of faith. What a statement of confidence in who you are, not confidence in themselves, Lord. I pray that you would send support. I pray that you would help them and encourage them, Lord. I pray that you would prepare them, that the enemy is still out there and that he has an onslaught coming their way, but they now have life when they didn't have it before. They have power that they didn't have before, God. And then I pray for those, Lord, that want to recommit themselves to you, Lord that wants you to breathe on them. Meet them here in this place. Meet them here at this altar, Lord. If you can do it for Philip and this eunuch on the side of a road in a desert in Jerusalem, you can definitely do it here at this altar, Lord. And then I pray for baptism. Our brother that says that he wants to be baptized, Lord, I pray that even today you begin to just wash him, wash over him, run over him, Lord. Anoint him, Lord God, and bless him, Lord. We love you today. We thank you. We will not forget what you did, but we also understand that you are alive. You are not a dead God. You are alive and well. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.